welcome to Speaking Startup, Missouri Business Alert's podcast covering the news and issues important to Missouri entrepreneurs. I'm Casey Murray. And I'm Jack Anstein. On today's episode, we'll speak with one local Kansas City farm about the impact of sustainable farming and how small-scale organic farms have found increased success during the pandemic. And later, we'll hear from Brian Matthews of Cultivation Capital and Brian Worley of Patient about the changes and challenges in venture capital during the pandemic. Plus, we'll have the week's headlines, digits, and other startup news you need to know. So what are we waiting for? Let's speak startup. So Casey, we're back podcasting after an extended hiatus. How have you been? I've been pretty good. There is so much going on right now in business news. It's great to be back. I know. Between all of the Redditor investments and Robinhood, I've been really excited to follow business news. I know. And today we have a different kind of investment story. So can look forward to that. Well, I'll be looking forward to hearing it. Um, why don't we jump on into the headlines? St. Louis-based online learning platform Varsity Tutors will become a public company in a transaction that values the business at $1.7 billion. Varsity Tutors' parent company, called Nerdy Incorporated, is going public by merging with TPG Pace Tech Opportunities. TPG Pace is a special purpose acquisition company, or what's sometimes called a blank check company, created to facilitate the process of a public offering. The deal makes Varsity Tutors the first St. Louis tech business founded this century to become a unicorn or a startup worth a billion dollars. Casey Rise, a Kansas City-based venture capital fund that invests in seed and Series A tech companies, has just closed its second fund. The firm raised $41 million and plans to invest it all in companies that are either based in Kansas City or make valuable contributions to the area. The fund is expected to go to 20 different companies. Darcy Howe, the co-founder and managing director of KC Rise, said half of the startups the fund has invested in so far are female or minority-led. St. Louis-based Elevate Elevar, an accelerator dedicated to supporting Black and Latinx startup founders that was started last year, has announced plans for a second cohort. The application period for the accelerator closes February 5th, and the cohort is set to debut in April. The program is six months long and is organized by WePower, a St. Louis nonprofit committed to promoting equality in a variety of fields. A former Kansas City firefighter has founded a company he hopes will help in the COVID-19 vaccination effort. Vaccine Pods, the name of the new company, produces freezers that can hold 300,000 vaccines at negative 100 degrees Fahrenheit. The pods are powered by batteries that can be recharged with solar power. The pods look like small storage containers and were developed in partnership with HCI Energy, a sustainable energy company based in the Kansas City area. Since the Pfizer vaccine must be kept at sub-zero temperatures, the pods could become essential for storing the shot. Let's now turn our attention to Herbivore Urban Farm, a Kansas City-based small-scale farmstead focused on growing food for the local community through unconventional sustainable practices. I know we've talked about some sustainable businesses in the past. What sets this one apart? 
Well, co-owner Brooks of Algeo said herbivore is committed to improving both the environment and the land it farms through practices like not running equipment over its fields and not using chemicals on crops. The farm has also engaged in efforts such as diverting over 1 million pounds of food from the landfill to be used as compost. Wow, that all sounds like a lot of work to maintain. Savaggio said herbivore sustainable practices have created a lot of added challenges for the business, but during the pandemic, herbivore sales have increased to an all-time high. Savaggio said this rise in sales was due to more people cooking and using organic ingredients during the pandemic, and that this is a trend that other small Missouri farms have experienced as well. I spoke with Savaggio to learn more. Brooke Savaggio with Herbivore Urban Farm. Thank you for speaking with me. Can you explain more about what your business does? We are a 13-and-a-half-acre farm located um, in the urban core of KCMO, and we grow a wide array of vegetables, and we produce pastured pork and pastured eggs using regenerative farming practices. Where all does the food you produce go to? We sell um, 100% of what we grow to a local farmer's market here in the Kansas City area. It's the Brookside Farmer's Market. In what ways do you think the local agriculture businesses, like your own, serve the community? Our farm is actually located in Kansas City. We are very much part of the community. Um, People can come to the farm. They can access the farm. They can actually see where their food is grown. You know, the the day and age of sitting in front of screens and being constantly plugged in uh, the global marketplace, ordering everything on Amazon, having that local connection to somebody um, and to a place, uh, let alone somebody and something that feeds you. It's, it's just, it's so important. It's touching, it's nourishing on a real level. Uh, the environmental, environmental impact is huge. Um, you know, not only are you nourishing your body when you eat locally grown organic foods, but you are uh, doing a huge favor to the environment. You're cutting down on fossil fuels because your food isn't traveling. Um, You're cutting down on so much chemical usage, pesticides and herbicides that are sprayed on the land and then in turn go into your body. Um, I mean, the benefits are vast and and it's, yeah, it's just a beautiful relationship no matter how you want to look at it. I know that through your business, you try to benefit the environment. Can you walk through some ways you achieve this? We use no-till practices in most of our fields, meaning we have permanent beds that we do not run equipment through. We also run animals on our field to provide our fertility. So our fertility is coming from a direct source. And so we've kind of created this model that mimics nature, uses minimal equipment, uh, zero chemicals. Uh, We do not use any pesticides or herbicides whatsoever. Um, It it allows us to not, you know, tap into the the ways of conventional agriculture. And it's, it's, yeah, it's, 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 I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's tricky. You know, Um, it's a lot of work to farm this way. It's, there are challenges each and every day. Um, you're always trying to come up with something new to tackle various problems. But um, it feels right, and you get to watch, you know, the landscape improve year after year. You see nature thriving on your farm, and the nutrient content and the flavor of the food is truly unsurpassed. 
Can you outline some specific challenges you face? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so with this kind of, let's say, back to nature approach in agriculture and reduced tillage, you know, many of the systems that you would normally be using equipment for, tractors and various implements, suddenly um, you're performing these massive laborious tasks by hand. So we've had to come up with creative ways to work in our fields and still, you know, farm on a scale that is that is legitimate, a scale that actually produces a, a good amount of food for the community and provides us with ample income. It's yeah, it's it's definitely hard <laughs> on your body. It's a very very physical type of farming. We have an intense set of ethics in which we operate from, and that that definitely makes our plight harder. Um, sometimes I, you know, want to kick myself, and I just I just wish we could be like everybody else because the state sustainability is so important to us. Um, we've taken a really really uh, rough and rocky path to get to where we want to be, and we're just not, you know, we're not 100 percent there yet. So with all these extra efforts, at the end of the day, what makes it all worth it to you? At the end of the day, I've been thinking about that a lot. And farming and feeding people was was the one thing that I, I, I had discovered that I, I couldn't find any ethical dilemma with, first of all. And second of all, it, it, it really... Um, gave me, it was rewarding, you know, it, it gave me purpose like nothing else had. So, so feeding people, connecting with people, feeding families, nourishing families, forming those relationships, that means so much to me. It gives my life meaning. Can you outline what changes the pandemic brought to local smaller scale farms like your own business? The silver linings for the farming community that I'm involved with have been, I mean, it's been shocking, really. You know, I, I feel like farmers that either are selling direct to market through farmers markets or through CSAs or they have online sales, I mean, their sales are through the roof. They're selling more than they ever have. You know, people are suddenly, everybody's home, first of all. You know, restaurants are closed or people don't feel safe going out to restaurants. So everybody's at home and they're cooking. And cooking is one of the few entertainments they have right now. And when you're stuck at home and you're depressed and you're miserable, you know, you want to cook a bunch of good food. That's that's about as exciting as it gets, right? I mean, you know, that's what we farmers have wanted all along we wanted like that breakthrough like hey guys healthy food matters and and it makes life better and cooking is cooking is a good thing and you know you're gonna feel better you're gonna feel it gives your life more meaning so um yeah i i mean i know that like all my farming friends they're all you know they're increasing their production through this coming growing season based on the sales this year, seed companies are selling out. You know, nobody can keep up with the demand because all these small-scale organic farmers across the country are ramping up. Thank you so much for your time. The pandemic has introduced all kinds of uncertainty and businesses famously dislike uncertainty. So you might think that would affect their investment activity. Wait, isn't it? No, not at all. In fact, 2020 still saw more venture capital investment than 2019, according to a report by Crunchbase. 
Wow, I would have thought investors would be holding off during this time. How are they managing to find investments they're still confident in? I spoke to Brian Matthews, a founder and managing partner at Cultivation Capital in St. Louis, which is one of the most active venture capital firms in Missouri, to find out what investors are going through right now. But that's still not the whole story. Right. There are plenty of companies that are still trying to attract investment right now as well. To get that perspective, I spoke with Brian Worley, the founder of Patient, a company that started in 2018 in Colombia that allows people to pay off their medical bills over time, which has attracted significant investment through the pandemic. The pandemic has been a tumultuous time for many. Stock markets have been volatile, unemployment skyrocketed, and many industries face a long and uncertain road to recovery. That doesn't sound like a world where investors would be keen to throw their money around. But the turnaround was faster than many anticipated. The industry kind of shut down for two to three months after the middle of March. And we just decided as a firm to put everything on hold and see how bad uh, this was going to be. That's Brian Matthews, a founder and managing partner of Cultivation Capital, which is a venture fund based in St. Louis. No, I would say since July, we've been back in business. I don't think uh, it's much slower. Matthews says that about 90 days into the pandemic, the firm resumed business as usual. And it seems like that's what most firms did. According to the Global VC report done by Crunchbase, startups in 2020 outraised the amount generated in 2019 by 4%. 91% of venture capital firms expect to come out of the pandemic fine and continue investing in new ventures, according to surveys done by Harvard business professor Paul Gompers. That's because technology has made it easy to continue connecting with startups, according to Matthews. We have learned we can do all of this online, and we, we kind of laugh and say we're probably more efficient because we're not doing small talk in our meetings and, and that sort of thing. So uh, I would say it's, it's back to normal, and we're doing just as many deals as we were uh, pre-COVID. Of course, that doesn't mean the industry hasn't changed at all. We would never do a deal until we looked them in the eye. And uh, certainly post-COVID, that isn't true. We've done lots of deals where we looked them in the eye over Zoom. But this technological shift could actually be a good thing for many startups. Brian Worley founded Patient, a company that allows people to pay for their medical bills over time, in 2018 out of Columbia. He says that initially, it was a challenge to raise large amounts of venture capital in the Midwest. 100% nearly of the money that we raised prior was in person. I remember in June of 2019, when we first went out, you know, it was very difficult to raise money from Columbia, Missouri. Worley says he got a great offer from an investor based in San Francisco during the startup's initial funding round that year, but it would have required Patient to move its operations. Worley didn't want to do that, so he didn't take the offer. But now that the pandemic has forced so much of working and investing online, it's lessened the need for those kinds of location-related demands. This most recent round that we raised, you know, everybody working remote and being remote, it sort of, it leveled the playing field. It made, like, everybody was working from everywhere. Matthews agrees. He says that no firm has a particular advantage over others when it comes to speaking with investors online everybody's playing the same game at this point. Maybe if the company's in your town, you'll, you'll spend some time with them face-to-face uh, in a socially distanced way. But for the most part, everybody's gone virtual. All the firms are, are working the same way. And Matthew says the pandemic has impacted the investing world positively in other ways. 
the pandemic has actually provided a valuable test for investors like him to evaluate companies. The really strong founders did an amazing job and uh, adapted, made changes, and uh, came out of it stronger than ever because some of their competitors in whatever industry they were in didn't react as strongly. And so they were able to take more market share. Maybe it shouldn't come as a surprise that in the startup world, which puts a premium on pivots and changes, investing has bounced back quickly. It could even turn the pandemic into a lasting advantage. Going forward, Worley says raising VC funding could become easier for startups located outside of major ecosystems. I think you'll see more people being able to work remote or in start companies. I do think that this has kind of lowered the peaks and raised the valleys in terms of being able to sort of put, you know, Columbia, Missouri is a viable place to build a big and important company. You know, talent knows no border. Worley says that Patient now has many remote workers of its own and expressed that the pandemic has just accelerated the ability to work from everywhere. In the future, many firms may be able to benefit from the changes made during this time of upheaval. Now let's get to the digits of the week, the numbers that matter most in Missouri entrepreneurship. My digit is 12.5 million. Why did you choose 12.5 million? Post Holdings, the Brentwood-based packaged goods company, has led a funding round for a new product intended to compete with popular chips like Cheetos and Doritos. Pitos, a Los Angeles startup, raised $12.5 million in the Series B round, led by Post Holdings. It had previously raised $7 million in its Series A funding round. Pito's chips have been designed to provide a healthier snack option than traditional chips and are made using peas. The product is already available in nearly 5,000 stores and available online. What's your digit? My digit is $2 million. $2 million? How'd you get that digit? One St. Louis toy Kickstarter raised $2 million in its first 10 hours, making it the second largest toy launch in Kickstarter history. The product is called Fort, a set of magnetic cushions designed to build a pillow fort. Fort currently has 8,000 backers and counting. Founder Connor Lewis began this endeavor after being laid off from his previous job during the pandemic. He said he hopes for the product to be ready to sell by October. That just about concludes our episode. We just seen our closing thought. Let's listen to Brooke Salvaggio with Herbivore give her best advice on how to successfully run a business. You know, just all else aside, focus on the health of the soil. The soil is at the core of it all. And I feel like you can pretty much apply that to anything. So don't lose track of what really matters. You know, don't lose track of that core value or that core medium um, because everything else sort of spawns out of that. That's all for this week's episode. This has been Speaking Startup from Missouri Business Alert. This episode was produced, edited, and hosted by Jack Anstein and me, Casey Murray. Our theme music was produced by Elliot Bowman. We'll speak to you next time.